For years, Minky Couture has been donating blankets to NICUs across the country. Owner Sandy Henry's grandson was born at 30 weeks, and she placed a mini blanket in her grandson's incubator. We want to help other NICU families with the Heart of Minky program. For every adult-sized blanket purchased, Minky Couture will donate a mini-sized blanket to NICUs across the nation. Thanks to you, we can fulfill our dream to blanket the world. Welcome to Adult Bedtime Stories. Are you ready to experience nocturnal emissions? Join us in a sex-positive awakening adventure to help create a sex-positive world. Become part of a movement and start living a sex-positive lifestyle free of sexual shame and guilt. Adult Bedtime Stories is a Ravenslayer production. Adult Bedtime Stories is a show dedicated to bringing sacredness back to our sexuality and to learn about everything sexual. Allow the beautiful sexy creature within you to emerge. Each week the focus of the show will be on a different sexual topic designed to enlighten you so you develop more fully as a sexual being. This is a sex education that you didn't receive in high school, but should have. Imagine for a moment that we could change the world and live a sex-positive lifestyle. In our sex-negative world, the process of socialization teaches us to feel shame and guilt around sex. By adopting a new set of attitudes and values around sex, we can view sex with a new understanding, which is accompanied with positive emotions and the attitude that sex is a sacred act. I am Lady Boy Chi, a sex expert, a life coach, and a sacred harlot. My life vision is to create a sex-positive world through adult education and BDSM performance art. Hello and welcome. I am Ladyboy Gigi, and on tonight's episode, we will be discussing coming out. And I have Paul with me. Hello. <laughs> I know that, especially as a bisexual, coming out can be a very difficult thing. But I know for me, in my life, I couldn't live a lie. And I couldn't live with secrets. I had to be who I was and allow others to know the full me, <laughs> the full Gigi. <laughs> and so I found that coming out, while it was very difficult, especially with some of the friends and especially my family, it was such a turning point in my life. All of a sudden I could be myself, be free and fully alive, and I didn't feel that weight. But I want to ask you, Paul, what was it like to come out for you? My process of coming out was a little different than most people because I was a little older when I really embraced my bisexuality. And up until that point, I had identified as a straight guy. And so when I came out, at the time, I didn't have a whole lot of contact with my family and all of my friends were really accepting of it. But then I did eventually re-enter my family's life. And coming out to them was a lot different. It was hard mostly because my stepmom is a very conservative Mexican woman who 
had always had a hard time with the fact that I had gay friends and bisexual friends and friends whose gender she couldn't tell. And so when I came out with them, it was during an argument about my sister, who's also bisexual, and they had gotten to the point where they weren't bringing it up in front of her, but they thought because it was just me, it was safe to kind kind of gang up on her and bash her for it. And I kind of came out in a fit of anger. And at first it was dramatic and there was accusations and all sorts of stuff. But then... The night progressed, and I was able to have a more productive conversation with them. And while it was hard for them to take, eventually they accepted it. And my stepmom, even the next Thanksgiving, gave me a gay pride flag. So she's come a long way. Yeah. And coming out is a process. I mean, we've lived with it for a long time. Sometimes, like in my case, my whole life, I knew I was bisexual. And when you come out to somebody, that's new information for them. It takes time to process that. But there are some things that can help with the process. I know that for me, I got in contact with PFLAG, by NetUSA, and they had some excellent pamphlets and information on how to come out and the things to do before you come out. And I found it was really helpful. One of the things that I think is really important when you're coming out is to have a good support network. Have friends, have people in the GLBT community that you know, let them know that you're about to come out and you may need to get with them and just process everything afterwards. <laughs> and part of why I'm doing the show on coming out tonight is that I did a series of interviews with Outwards. It wasn't just on coming out. It was on my whole story about who and what I am and for this Celebrate Bisexuality Day, they released a podcast on coming out, which was a collection of a whole bunch of people's stories, ideas, and ad advice, and comments on the coming out process, because they asked us a lot of questions about coming out. And the Outwards interview that they put together really came out great. <laughs> Yeah, I listened to it. It was really, really good. And so some of the things that I really highly recommend is do have a support network. I think part of coming out, and some of the, these were some GLBT elders, and several of them said, or at least one I remember said, you know, I wish I'd come out much earlier. <laughs> I felt like I'd missed so much by keeping this hidden for so long. I think it's important to realize that if you're hiding something that's that big a part of yourself for many, many years, it's going to eat at you, it's going to wear you down, and you're not going to be able to get out as much and do the things that, pursue the things that you want to pursue because you're keeping all this hidden. I think that the point that you make about building a support network is very, very important. And depending on where you live, that might be harder than other places. But there will always be people if you look for them. And I'm glad you said that because there is organizations like Binet USA and PFLAG. And while they may not be your best friends, you can certainly connect with them and talk to people in those organizations that can be a support person if you're 
isolated and don't have a support person. Yeah, and in this day and age, luckily we have access to the internet. And even if you can't find someone in your immediate neighborhood or or community, there are tons of people online and there are tons of organizations and groups and go to Reddit, go to Tumblr, go to any one of the online like message boards and you can find support out there and people that will know what you're going through and might have suggestions and ideas about when they went through it themselves. And there is support out there for you, even if you don't feel like there is. And when you're talking about your story about coming out kind of out of anger, it made me think back because there's times when I could have done that easily in my situation, and I knew it was going to be bad if I did. It was bad anyway, (laughs) especially with my family, because my father was a minister, and my family was pretty religious and very much into the Christian thing and felt that homosexuality and bisexuality was a sin and evil and bad. (laughs) I'd like to talk a little bit about my coming out to them because I did plan for it ahead of time. I had a good support network and I got some advice like come from a place of pride and being centered in who you are. Don't come out in a place of shame or an apologetic way because if you come out kind of apologizing for who you are it's just going to go downhill from there it's already got enough against you (laughs) and that's what one of my friends told me he said with all that's against you why not come out from a place of pride and being centered in who you are and celebrating who you are not in a place of oh, I've got this horrible secret I have to tell you. (laughs) And I think that helped a lot in my situation because I even came out to some friends that I was kind of concerned about. I didn't know if they would be very accepting or not. And it turned out some were, some weren't. It kind of surprised me, the ones that were supportive. And I would like to say that coming out is a process. You don't just do it once. <laughs> it's a process, and especially for bisexuals, I had to come out over and over again, even to some of the gay friends that kept saying, oh, quit sitting on the fence, just make up your mind. And I said, well, I already have made up my mind. I'm bisexual. I like both. <laughs> And so the issues are a little different when you're bisexual as opposed to gay or lesbian. Because, especially in my time, the GLBT community, or at least the gay and lesbian communities, weren't as accepting of bisexuals. I think that's changing a little bit. It's better than it had been. But we still have a long ways to go. Yeah, one of the things that I also wanted to mention, when you talk about coming out from a place of pride, another thing that helped me when I came out with my family was letting them know that by telling them that I was bisexual, I was really wanting to share with them who I was. I wasn't wanting to hide from them. It came from an honest place of wanting to connect with them. And if I had to share, hide that part of myself, then I would be lying to them. And I didn't want to do that anymore. And I think that that is helpful for a lot of family members especially who have a hard time for whatever reason accepting that you're gay or bi or trans. So I think that's one thing that's pretty helpful. There are so many people in the community 
in many communities that can be supportive. And I knew when I came out to my family that I was probably going to be ostracized. <laughs> and it turned out I was. But now I have a family of choice in the pagan community and in the bisexual community and the many different alternative communities. And I have people that have shown me more love and honor and respect and have really shown me a devotion that was so much better than anybody in my family had ever shown me even before I came out. And so now I have a family of choice, which is an amazing family. <laughs> I think that that was one of the benefits for me of coming out, was that all of a sudden I had brothers and sisters, not blood brothers and sisters, but or biological brothers and sisters, but I had brothers and sisters of choice that fully supported me and celebrated and who and what I am. Yeah, it's really amazing when those people come into your life. And sometimes it happens all at once. And that's an important thing to remember if you're in a place in your life right now where there's no one that you're really connecting with, that it's not always going to be that way. It does get better as time goes on. And Sometimes you might have to make a change in your life. I know that a lot of our listeners are listening in from rural communities that tend to be more conservative. If you find yourself in that situation, particularly in the U.S. or parts of Europe or places like that, there's always a choice to to move once you have the ability to to move to somewhere that is more open-minded that is a liberal place generally any city you go to you'll find very large communities that can support and celebrate who you are and help you come into your full being and I'd like to jump in here and say, even if you choose to stay in a smaller town, sometimes coming out can put a face on something that is otherwise faceless, like homosexuality and bisexuality are kind of abstract concepts. And when someone can put a face on it and go, well, if, the, if Gigi is bisexual... And he's such a wonderful person. How can it be so bad? And so I think it helps build acceptance around the world when we come out to family members and to friends and and put a face on these abstract concepts. That's very true. And I think it's important to put a face on it. I think that's why the whole GLBT community has grown so huge now and has gained such acceptance as we've been putting faces on it. And all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, the, the initial reaction may be kind of bad, but over time, as people have time to process, they'll think, well, is it really all that bad? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. It's it it really is a very powerful thing. And I know, you know, because I used to hitchhike all around the country or all around the US, I was really surprised a lot of the times when I would meet people from small communities and after talking for a while, they felt safe enough to let me know that they were gay or bisexual or didn't feel right in their body. And it, it really kind of surprised me how much even in the rural United States, it's really fairly common. I believe 
Uh, the last uh, statistic I saw said that about 10% of the population is some form of queer. So that's one in 10 people. Actually, that's larger than that. It's one in 10 are gay or lesbian. <laughs> oh, okay. There's many more bisexuals. <laughs> you might feel isolated, but realize there are probably other people in your community that feel the same way that you do. And if you find each other, you can build strength and solidarity. Fritz Klein came up with the Klein sexual orientation grid. And one of the things he discovered was that, and this was kind of known in the bi community anyway, there's bisexuals that are like 99% straight and 1% gay, but they're still bisexual. Then there's others like me that's pretty much, well, I'm kind of rare. I'm a 50-50. I like both <laughs> equally. And then there's people that are mostly on the gay side, but every so often they like the other way. Trying to define sexual orientation is kind of a can of worms anyway. It's a bit of a myth in the sense that it assumes that there's only two genders, male and female, or two sexes. Just studying biology, you realize, oh, there's a spectrum out there. It's not just two. And I say this because I think that helps also to build acceptance because if you we redefine sexual orientation and find a better definition of it, then it won't be such a black and white issue, so to speak. I mean, that's that's one hundred percent true. As I've mentioned on this podcast before, I I don't actually identify as either male or female. I'm kind of in the middle, and I know that. There are more and more people every day realizing that they don't feel entirely one gender or the other. And there are a, a, a number of different people that realize that they don't identify with the, the gender they were born in at all, and they feel completely the opposite. A lot of people wind up having to come out about is being trans, and that's another thing entirely. It, it can be a very difficult process, but the support for the trans community is also growing a lot. Right now, there are a lot of people on both sides, but there are people, good people, trying to to fight for the justice for the trans community and make laws that make sense for trans people and protecting trans rights. So that's another very important part of the coming out story for, for many, many people around the world. While we're on the subject of sex and gender, one of the things that's been kind of recognized, especially in the bi community, is that there are straight men that are highly effeminate, and there is a disparity between a man that's effeminate and a woman that's a little bit more masculine. It's a lot more acceptable for there to be a tomboy, <laughs> a woman that's kind of into the more masculine side and more masculine activities. But for a boy to be a little bit effeminate and into the more feminine activities, it's assumed, oh, they're gay. And there are many straight boys that are effeminate. And so that's a big misnomer out there that because a boy is effeminate, that means he must be gay. Yeah, that's completely true. And it's you know, and it's, it's a huge disparity between mm -hmm. a male being effeminate and a woman being masculine. <laughs> yeah, it it really is. In fact, I came up with a, a coined a term early on because I felt like, well, I'm the opposite of a tomboy. 
So I must be a girl, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> Even my mother, who was a, a very liberal person and who had lots of gay friends, when my mom realized that I was interested in Barbies and things like that, she tried to be understanding, but she even she tried to dissuade me from taking as much interest in feminine things for most of my childhood. Uh, luckily, by the time I was in my teens, my mom realized that it was just part of who I was and didn't try to to dissuade me from those things. But I still have strong memories of being really surprised that my mom, because, you know, I wasn't surprised when my dad did. My dad was always a little bit more traditional and conservative than my mom. But it did surprise me when my mom did. So, you know, that's something that even liberal people do, even well-meaning, open-minded people do, just because it's part of the social conditioning. What is it to be a man or to be a woman? And we don't really have a good definition of it that works for everybody. <laughs> well, I, I think that that's kind of a personal question. Oh, it definitely is, but... But in a, at a certain level, it's also how people identify you. And then a whole set of kind of social order kicks in, and all of a sudden you're supposed to conform to this definition of what it is to be a man or a woman. It's going to be hard to come up with an answer for that because the answers are ever-shifting, they're cultural, so they change from place to place to place. And I'm not saying there should be an answer for it. Mm -hmm. I think what I'm saying is that maybe we're making the wrong assumptions. I mean, think about it. As soon as a baby is born, they ask, is it a boy or a girl? And then this multi-million dollar industry kicks in and reinforces that decision. Yeah. Whether it's pink outfits or blue outfits. Girls like Disney princesses, boys like G.I. Joes. Yeah. And so this huge industry kicks in to reinforce the answer to that first question when we're born. Mm -hmm. To some degree, and even though I kind of think sexual orientation is a bit of a myth, it's the words we have, <laughs> but... One of the things that I think that's kind of interesting is that sexual orientation is, or who we get involved with romantically and sexually, is a very huge part of our identity and who we are, just as our sex is. And so to hide that, it can be very disruptive for a person's life. It definitely can be. <laughs> well, I'd like to take a little break and talk a little bit about the podcast. And I hope you get a lot out of this podcast. And if you do, we would love for you to help support us at whatever level you can. And the website address, come to patreon.com forward slash... Ladyboy Gigi, if you would like to support this show. It would help us a lot with production costs, with equipment costs, and putting on more good shows. <laughs> um, also, just to remind everyone that at the end of every episode, we an answer a question from our listeners. And if you want to ask a question, you can either... Do that via comment on the iTunes, or you can go to Gigi's email address. What is that email address again? It's on my website. You can contact me there, ravenslayerleather.com. 
and the email address is admin at ravenslayerleather.com. While you're at it, you should check out the rest of the website because there's all sorts of things there from learning materials. There are several courses that uh, Gigi offers online. And we also have some free training programs. <laughs> yeah. So while you're while you're there, feel free to check out the site and give us a look through. And we'd love to hear your comments. So after the show, rate us and give leave a comment. Whatever you feel or think about, we'd love to hear from you. If you have suggestions for future show topics, we'd love to hear those too. Well, back that was our little station break. <laughs> back to coming out. I came out a little later in life. I mean, I started coming out to a few close friends when I was fairly young that I knew was okay with it. But when I really fully came out, it was such an amazing transition for me. I just felt free and liberated and the sense of balance. And I felt like, okay, it's so amazing not to have to hide behind this facade of being heterosexual <laughs> when I'm not. And it was such an amazing process to feel the acceptance for who and what I am by so many people. And I think that was one of the biggest blessings for me when I came out was that all of a sudden people go, went, oh, I love you. And it just gave me such a reaffirmation of myself and who and what I am. Yeah, definitely. It, for me, even though the first portion of my coming out wasn't dif difficult by any means, mm -hmm. I I did feel awkward about coming out to these people because these people were all my very close friends and they had known me for years. And I knew that they would accept me for who I was. So I was afraid that either they might think that I had been like holding back on them, which was not like me or I don't know, but there was a lot of fear associated with it. And then when I did start telling people it, it really was great that I didn't get any bad reactions at all. No one felt hurt that I was holding anything back or anything like that. And the fears that I did have did completely disappear. And it did feel really great to be myself and be with my friends and know that they would never think anything less of me. Mm-hmm. And I even came out to some friends that said, oh, we've known that. <laughs> it's no big surprise. <laughs> and I think sometimes other people do get that sense of it. It can be such an amazing thing. Even though I did have some bad experiences, I came out to one really good friend, and he pretty much said he didn't want to have anything to do with me anymore. And I don't know if that was a little bit of homophobia or biphobia on his part, because I think that sometimes when people reject us that utterly, it's because maybe I'm touching on something that they're uncomfortable with. And I think that's part of the process of coming out, is recognizing that there is a lot of biphobia and homophobia out there. And where that comes from is because people often will repress some of their own feelings to the such a degree that they don't realize it's in them until later on when it does finally bubble up. <laughs> Ray Hill, 
who used to be on After Hours, the show I used to do on KPFT radio, he realized that a lot of people that had been arrested for gay bashing and for other homophobic acts later turned out very gay and very much into being who they were. And it just took this process for them to come to terms with it and for it to even bubble up to the surface. Before you can come out, you have to realize who you are. And a lot of people are, I will say, lucky enough to not be able to deny who they are at all and know very early on. But it is not uncommon for people to not really be able to realize or accept their own sexuality for a long time. And when that happens, it can be even harder to come out because now you're so much older and you have all of these deeply formed connections that you've known for years and years. And then it's kind of like a bombshell. If you're 20 and coming out, that still has problems and things like that. But when you're 30 and you come out, all of a sudden the the surprise is that much greater. So I think that it's important to really look into yourself and look into things that might be holding you back from realizing the the full reality of who you are. And one of the things you touched on there is that I think the first person you have to come out to is yourself for a lot of people. Now, in my situation, I already had bisexual experiences before I knew what the words were. I didn't know what sex was when I first started experiencing it. And that's kind of fortunate because I experienced it in the innocence of childhood with open arms and really embraced it and discovered how good it was to suck a dick or finger a girl or have her play with me. And it was just this amazing, tingly, good sensations. And it was so pleasurable. And then later, as I got a little older, I heard the word homosexual and the way it was used. And I knew, well, that can't be right. Why do these people think it's so bad? As I got a little older, I realized, oh, I need to keep this kind of a secret because I could get in a lot of trouble. I could get beat up. There's a real safety issue for me. And I bring this up because I know some listeners of this show live in countries where being attracted to someone of the same sex and having sex with them could be punishable by death. And so it's a real issue for a lot of people to be safe. Don't come out in a hostile environment. Come out to other areas in the world through the internet, if that's safe for you. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts? Yeah, I, I'm glad you bring that up because it's something that I think about quite a lot. I know, I try to realize my own privilege and fortune in being an American and living in a country where it didn't happen that long ago, but now gay marriage is legal and there are definitely a lot of people fighting for gay rights and there are large open and out So much has changed even in the legal system here. I mean, the sodomy laws were all repealed Mm -hmm. and found unconstitutional. The cross-dressing laws were found unconstitutional. You can dress however you want to dress legally now. Yeah. The whole, what was the famous first thing in New York? slipping my mind. The gay... 
Oh, bar. The, oh yeah. The, the, you're talking about the um, riot. The yeah. Uh, what? Stonewall. Stonewall. Yeah. That wasn't so much about being gay. It was about. It was more about cross-dressers. Well, actually, trans. And trans. Yeah. Well, some were cross-dressers, some were trans. Yeah. It wasn't even necessarily that these people were gay. Some weren't. Some were just into the whole vaudeville, cross-dress, be on stage kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. When you look at it, look back on it, it's so amazing that at one time these things were illegal. I grew up in that era. <laughs> I mean, the sodomy laws in Texas weren't taken off the books until well into my lifetime. So I I know that it's it really is not that long ago that things were kind of bad here. But, you know, we were just talking about countries where it is far, far worse and has oh, been. Yeah far worse for all of history pretty much in a lot of especially the the muslim countries it's it's very very and that's part of why i do this show is because i want to create a more sex positive world a more accepting world and i think part of that process is by educating people and teaching people about what sex is what it isn't and teaching people that no, there's not just males and females. There's a whole spectrum out there. We just haven't named it because it's been so reinforced throughout mo- most of the modern world. My whole sex, being intersex, being a hermaphrodite, is in this country, even today, it's all but eradicated. They do surgeries on us to make us look like something we're not and create this illusion. It's really disgusting that these doctors are playing God and thinking, oh, I can change someone's sex with my scalpel. I mean, that, to me, makes a good Frankenstein movie, <laughs> if you, ex- except it's real, you know. <laughs> and so I see this, and I think that's part of why I do this show is because I want to change the world and help it become more sex positive and be more affirming and accepting for each person, no matter who they love or what they're into, as long as it's safe, sane, and consensual. So, any thoughts? I just wanted to make one comment, because I know it's not what you meant, but when you made the the comment about people playing God with a scalpel and thinking they can change someone's sex. Of course, you're talking about, in the case of intersex people, when they do not consent to it. Exactly. When people realize that they are not in the body that they're supposed to be, and they spend years and then go and get surgery normally and other countries and have a gender reassignment surgery like of course that's not playing god that's just making things right that's not the doctor saying i'm going to make you into a female whether you like it or not that's someone requesting a doctor to do that and that's a whole different process exactly (laughs) and so the reason i say they're playing god is because they're trying to make a decision about my body and change it into something that it's not, that I wasn't born to be. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And that also goes to circumcision. I know that both of us are very anti-circumcision, and it's disgusting that they decide for so many children in this country. Oh, not just here. It's... In some countries, they also do clitorectomies where they Mm -hmm. remove the clitoris. Yeah, I know. They do all kinds of female mutilation, Mm -hmm. which is really disgusting. Yeah, it's any surgery that happens on children without their consent that is not specifically to save that children's life is completely wrong in my well i would say medically necessary yeah not necessarily necessary. 
yeah. life-threatening, but there are conditions where surgery is required. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I I agree with that. But as far as moral decisions, if it's not medically necessary, you should always wait until a child is old enough to consent. Yeah. And one of the things I did in my surgery was I rerouted my urethra because I had a penis and it didn't come out through my penis. <laughs> and that was, t it came out elsewhere. And that was not medically necessary. Who cares if I sit down to pee? I still do to this day. <laughs> I don't mind sitting down to pee. <laughs> but boys aren't supposed to do that. And so I bring this up because for me, I had to come out on a whole nother level as a hermaphrodite, as intersex. Each of us have different things that we have to come out about, or many people do. And I think coming out is, that was a whole nother process that I had to go through on top of the bisexuality. And I think part of gender, sex, this whole thing of being operated on and changed, the deck was loaded against me from more to go because I was not born to be a man, yet I was expected to be a man. And since I couldn't live up to it, they blame the victim. <laughs> and I got in a lot of trouble and had a lot of problems early on because I wasn't masculine enough. In this situation, when I came out, I had to deal with a lot of my own anger and my own issues before I came, could come out. And I had to kind of come to terms with all this stuff within myself first. And I think that's important an important part of the coming out process is to be able to come to terms with what all's going on around the coming out issue. Yeah, and I, I think that this story about coming out, there are, there are a lot of things that you can come out about in your life, even if you're not queer, you know, if you have religious parents and you're an atheist if you are into kink bdsm and or even pagan coming out of the broom closet yeah yeah all uh, of those things this is something that affects pretty much everyone i would say to some degree and even if you don't have issues to come out to there's going to be people around you that do and will at some point come out and so it's important to really come to terms and really embrace that there's diversity out there, that we aren't all made from the same cookie cutter, <laughs> so to speak. We're not blueprints of each other. And I love the diversity that's out there. It's so beautiful. I mean, going to Burning Man and seeing some of the expression, self-expression at so many different levels, it's just amazing. <laughs> and I think diversity is what makes things so interesting and beautiful. It's like the world would be really weird if we were all the same. <laughs> Which kind of comes to some of my training in social work. One of the things I studied on was normalcy and being normal. And being normal is basically falling within the average range on the bell curve. And it's those of us that are out on the tails, we're, we're the different ones. <laughs> being normal is average. Who wants to be average? It's like, I want to excel in who and what I am. I don't want to just live as some little average in the middle when I, especially when I'm not. Yeah. And if you look at the the people who have really shaped this world and made it what it is, none of them are what you would call normal. All of them are weirdos in their own right. Yeah. I mean, everything from the Einsteins to Tesla, who gave us electricity, basically, 
we're all kind of have our own little flares and differences. And I think that's part of what's so beautiful about people is that sometimes they can surprise you in good ways. <laughs> but we're coming to the top of the hour. It's time, I think, for our question. And while he's getting the question, I do want to remind you to check out our training programs at ravenslayerleather.com. Okay, Gigi, we've got a, a question from a listener. It goes, uh, Dear Gigi, I've listened to several of your shows and I've been really enjoying them so far. I'm a guy in my mid-20s and I've started a new relationship and it's going really well. But I haven't told my new partner about my kinkier side yet. She is really sweet and has lived a much quieter life than I have. And I'm worried that she might not know how to handle some of the things I am into. Do you have any advice about how to bring up my interest in BDSM to her without freaking her out? I would start slow. Let her know that you do have this interest. I do believe in being honest in relationships. And what I would recommend is don't start out with the full-on kink. <laughs> start out with gentle things like tying up with neckties or nylon stockings or get into some bondage play or some light play and say, let's explore this. And I think one way to introduce the concept is to get one of the videos I have on breaking taboo or any of the podcasts, listen to this podcast together on different topics and see how she responds before you fully go, oh, I'm into this. <laughs> because it's important when we're talking on the emotional level to give people time to process and not just drop a bombshell on them, so to speak. I, I would say that some of, of the advice that you had earlier uh, is also good here when you were talking about coming out from a place of, of pride and not making it this confession that, that you're making. It's not, I've got this thing I have to tell you and blah, 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 it's, you know, these are some of the things we get to do together if you're interested. And that's another thing that someone guided me when I was coming out early on was they said, if you come out when you're all nervous and kind of jittery about it, it's going to come across. If you come out in a more gentle way and build up to it, but come out from a position of this is a part of me I want to share with you. This is a part of who I am. It comes across a whole different way. And all of a sudden, it's like it's not like I'm sitting down and telling you some deep, dark secret. I'm sharing a part of who and what I am with you. And I know that for my lovers, if they truly love me, they're going to love the whole of me, not just certain parts of me. Mm-hmm. I think when we try to chop up love into categories of who we are, and you can love this aspect, but you hate this aspect, yeah, we're all going to have little issues in relationships. Mm -hmm. And what we do is we have to learn to accept the whole person, not just certain aspects of a person. Yeah, and I would say that it would be good to let your girlfriend ask questions of you. You know, you don't have to launch into this hour-long tirade about what you're into and, and all of this. You, you can ask her if she has any questions and calmly answer her questions. And you may be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. When I first came out to Jay about BDSM, my current lifelong partner she goes oh wow that sounds fun and exciting <laughs> mm -hmm. as it turns out she wasn't real into doing play scenes a whole lot but she was very accepting and affirming of it 
and saw that as part of who and what I am. And she was very fascinated by it. And she, once she started coming to the play parties and meeting some of the people, one of the things she said to me one night was, you know, I find it so interesting how bonded the submissive and sub is together. Those are deep bonds, and there's such a deep caring between the both the sub and the dom. She said, that really kind of surprised me because I thought that the sadist was trying to be mean to the sub. <laughs> no, that's not what it's about, or at least not all the time. Now, there's some... You get a little bit of everything out there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And that's one of the things that kind of drew me to the BDSM community is that the relationships are based on a living trust instead of just, oh, I trust you. Because when you let someone tie you up and have their way with you, that's a living trust. It's going beyond just saying, oh, I trust you. And it creates a deeper much deeper bond and I felt that bond with some of my subs and some of my doms it was a bond that went so much deeper than just a regular romantic relationship not that the my usual regular relationships didn't have good bonding but the BDSM bonding between the sub and the dom goes to a much deeper level. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's important to point out those things. And also, as you get more into the, you've talked about it for a while, and you start opening up about some of the things that you're into, if there's anything that your girlfriend turns her nose up at you you should definitely let her know that I don't expect you to do all of these things with me I this isn't a requirement to be with me yeah and also I'd like to throw in and say that for a lot of people BDSM and sex are two different things now I like to combine them in my play when I get into intense play but most of the people out in the community BDSM and sex are two totally different things. And so there are people that play that have, are married and their partner's not into it, but they go to play parties and play with others in a BDSM relationship that is very powerful and amazing. And it's, they're not doing it behind their back or their partner's back. And so there can be a deeper understanding that Oh, you don't have to do this with me. Jay's very supportive of me and my relationships and some of the things I do that she's not into. And I'm very supportive of what she's into that I'm not into. And she does all kinds of things that are her thing, and I do my thing, and then we do our thing together. (laughs) And I think that makes for a healthier relationship. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I, I think it's very good when people have things that are their own things. and But it does take good communication. Yeah. And not, I think what hurts a lot of relationships is partners do things behind their partner's back and lie about it. And then they get caught and then things deteriorate real fast. Yeah, that's 100% true. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our show tonight. Have a wonderful night, and do you have any other comments before we end? I just want to let everyone listening know that I really appreciate each and every one of you, and I hope that you'll have a wonderful night. Yes, and enjoy those nocturnal emissions, and get sexy and wild and... ah. Enjoy being who and what you are. Celebrate in yourself, your sexy self. Good night. I find it interesting that adults in our culture are not provided with informative sexual education. Even married couples don't have access 
to an adequate sexual education and how to pleasure each other. It's assumed that somehow we will instinctively know all that we need to know about sex. I don't know how you feel about this, but I think there's a better method. I would like to invite you to join me in developing a sex-positive lifestyle with freedom of sexual expression between consenting adults. Join us each week to learn everything sexual. Add your comments about the show and any suggestions you have for future show topics. We would love to hear from you. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you won't miss any episodes. This concludes this edition of Adult Bedtime Stories. Are you ready to experience nocturnal emissions? Sex is the final frontier. So explore everything sexual. For years, Minky Couture has been donating blankets to NICUs across the country. Owner Sandy Henry's grandson was born at 30 weeks, and she placed a mini blanket in her grandson's incubator. We want to help other NICU families with the Heart of Minky program. For every adult-sized blanket purchased, Minky Couture will donate a mini-sized blanket to NICUs across the nation. Thanks to you, we can fulfill our dream to blanket the world. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. PenFed's got-